Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, uh, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, I'm in a different location tonight because I tested positive uh, for the coronavirus, so uh, I'm uh, in isolation, but uh, um, here I am. And uh, you know, there's still lots to talk about. Um, and uh, you know, I'll start by saying, as usual, that when I give the subject uh, to the people in the US at the beginning of the week, or even at the end of last week, about what we should talk about, uh, as it happens so often, uh, you know, I'm forced to talk about something completely different because you know, three days or whatever it is is a very long time in Israeli politics, and so this week is no different. Although interestingly enough. Um, I sort of predicted that there was going to be some sort of coalition crisis this week, although um, I was going to refer to something else. Uh, originally, I was going to talk about the nation, uh, the, the citizenship uh, uh, bill, which is basically would allow the interior minister uh, to not automatically allow Palestinian uh, spouses when they marry Israeli citizens. Uh, when anyone marries Israeli citizens, they automatically get... Uh, Israeli citizenship, but there was a law a number of years ago due to uh, security concerns. Um, uh, basically, uh, due to security uh, security concerns, there was a uh, special law created that would ensure that each uh, case uh, for the Palestinians uh, would be seen individually. Uh, that ran out, um, but the government has tried to create that law again, something that was passed government by government, I think every six months it came up. Um, but astonishingly or not, depending on where you sit, the government, uh, the previous government, which is now sitting in opposition, voted against this law, which they voted on many times. And in fact, members of the opposition passed. Uh, so it put the government in a bit of a problematic situation as they have a member, uh, Ram, uh, the Islamist party, and even some of the more extreme left-wing parties in the government that would not support it. There was talk of maybe some uh, opposition helping pass this law, understanding this is a matter of potentially a matter of uh, national security, um, but it didn't come up in the end this week. Uh, negotiations are still ongoing, so it seems like it's going to be put off, even though there was a high court uh, ruling this week uh, that basically said that Ayat uh, Shaked should not be relying on a law that's now out of date. Uh, by denying uh, the spouse's uh, citizenship. Um, but uh, she said that uh, that ruling is irrelevant because we're going to pass a law anyway. So we'll see what happens with that. But what did come up was uh, something even, you know, even, even more of a coalition crisis and arguably the biggest coalition, the biggest crisis this coalition has seen since, uh, since the beginning was seven months ago. Uh, as is usual around this time of year, in the lead up to the Jewish uh, uh, festival of Tu Bishvat, the, the, the New Year for trees, there's a lot of tree planting going on. And usually the organization JNF, Kakal, uh, uh, you know, plants a lot of trees. 
and they plant a lot of trees, especially in the Negev, in the Negev Desert. And every year um, they plant in different areas, primarily for uh, environmental reasons, forestation, et cetera, et cetera. This year they planted in an area which is officially state land, which means that they're officially allowed to, uh, to plant there. Uh, but it's an area claimed by a certain Bedouin tribe called the Alatrash tribe. Um, anyone who knows the Negev area knows that there are a lot of uh, Bedouin tribes that basically move from different encampment to different encampment. They claim land on their, uh, as their own. Uh, rarely, if ever, do they have any documented evidence of this. Um, most of it, they claim, is verbal. Uh, and even then, it's relatively unreliable. This particular clan had put in a claim for that land in 1973 or the mid to early 70s, and it's got no further because uh, there doesn't seem to be too much evidence of it. Either way, this land has been deemed a state land, and they were building trees on it. Uh, the, uh, some of the Bedouins in the south uh, basically uh, became violent, tried to stop uh, the tree planting, Threats were made, uh, cars were attacked on the main road, uh, certain areas of the south basically became battlegrounds. Uh, even at one point, there was a disturbing instance of uh, stones being left on a railway track going south, which is clearly an act of arson, if not terrorism, as being deemed by the police and the security forces. And the situation really got out of hand for two, actually even three nights running, because apparently it's uh, happening again tonight. There has been, uh, you know, real violence in the south. The, the police and security forces have come in. They've arrested dozens of Bedouins, uh, mostly Bedouin youth, um, and it's created quite a, a problem. Now, it's a problem at, uh, in and of itself. So why has it become a coalition problem? First of all, because uh, Likud, as we know, the main opposition party tried to make hay of it, went down and uh, did a public uh, tree planting with their, with their prominent members of the party. Netanyahu himself was not there, but some other relatively prominent members, Avi Dichter and others, and that obviously inflamed uh, tensions further. Um, but basically it became a coalition crisis because for Ram, uh, the Bedouins of the South are really the bedrock of their political support. Um, and for them, uh, what they see is an attack on their way of life, on their lands, on their property, uh, is something which they can't countenance uh, politically. So they basically said they threatened the coalition. If this doesn't stop now, we will uh, bolt the coalition. And moreover, they made good on their threat not to turn up to the Knesset today. Uh, and the Knesset was a, was a busy uh, day. There was lots of laws coming up to vote and the, uh, the whole Ram party uh, decided to boycott uh, the Knesset, which actually led to a member of Yamina, near Orbach, also uh, saying, you know, if Ram can boycott whenever they don't like something, so can I. So the coalition did not have a majority. They decided rather than, you know, lose on narrow margins, they would just all leave the Knesset. So uh, all of the opposition's party uh, uh, laws today that came up uh, basically passed, I think there were seven or eight. So it was a major victory for the opposition. Um, are these laws significant? Are they going to be passed? Undoubtedly no, because they're not even up for the first reading. This is a preliminary reading. They have to go to committees. They have to be voted on three more times. So the overwhelming likelihood is none of these laws will ever see the light of day, let alone the, the legal books. Uh, but it was certainly a moral 
victory for the coalition uh, for the opposition. Um, and what it does is it, it has created quite a rift. Uh, Prime Minister Net, um, Bennett has tried to play it down, said that there was a disagreement. We now passed it. Uh, an agreement was reached, or at least a compromise was reached. Uh, Yale Lapid, uh, Foreign Minister Yale Lapid, was centrally involved. He got uh, Zev Elkin, who's the housing minister who's in charge of this tree planting, to uh, cease um, the tree planting itself. Uh, people like Zev Elkin, who are more right wing, you know, tried to come uh, climb down the tree and said, we planted all the trees that was meant to stop today anyway. It's probably unlikely that that's true, but it uh, makes them save face a little bit. Um, but it seems like the compromise has been reached and it seems like tomorrow the government will go back uh, to working as normal. Uh, that remains to be seen, especially tomorrow is not a Knesset day. So it's very easy you know, to sort of claim that uh, agreement has been reached and compromises have been understood and everything like that. Uh, but we won't really know until next Monday when the Knesset sits again exactly what it means. What it does mean is there's going to be a lot of tension. This is really going to be a, a test for the coalition because before there were always disagreements and a bit of uh, flexing muscles here and a bit of beating chest there. But this is really the first time that uh, it really has struck home to uh, uh, to Ram that this, this this is an issue probably bigger than all the others because this really is the base, the foundation of their political support, as I said, the Southern Bedouins. So they really had no choice. And, uh, Mansour Abbas, uh, who basically, he used language that said, you know, I've, I've taken a lot of flack uh, over the last few months, but this was a bullet to my chest and I can't take it anymore. And that's why he took the uh, extreme uh, position of removing all uh, members of Ram from the Knesset. Some of the other members, which are more uh, extreme, let's say, uh, took more extreme positions, said that this is the end of the government and there's no way we can work with them anymore. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. I think Mansour Abbas, once everything has calmed down, at the moment in, on, on the ground, things haven't calmed down. There's still riots in the South. Um, but what remains to be seen is whether this will have a lasting effect. What it certainly will say to the coalition, uh, some of the coalition partners, is uh, that this is, this is a problem. This is, you know, we saw that the first time that Ram didn't like something, they basically... Uh, stood up and walked out. Does that give us lessons to walk out when we don't like something? What happens when Ram or a party on the left wants to bring up an issue and the right are against it? Do they also do that? Uh, a, a precedent to a certain extent was set today. And that could create a lot of ill feeling in a government where there are major ideological differences. And uh, I think definitely it's going to have something of a lasting impression on this government. It remains to be seen exactly how much. As I said, Mansour Abbas seems to have understood uh, that the situation politically, at least, as long as it doesn't get out of hand on the ground, is over for the moment because the planting did stop. Uh, the opposition obviously, uh, you know, went to the media saying that this is, uh, you know, the, the, the government, Bennett, uh, et cetera, they succumbed to terror, they succumbed to threats. This was, this was a real uh, you know, defeat, and this was not a good day for the state of Israel. The state of Israel should be able to plant trees wherever they want, especially on state land, and not give in to threats and to violence uh, and the rest. And uh, that's certainly going to work well with their base, even though, as pointed out today, uh, many times that Netanyahu did something similar 
when he was prime minister in 2020. And according to Mansour Abbas, he even uh, promised to go even further and give uh, the Southern Bedouins more and more territory, recognize more and more of their towns and villages in the South uh, if Ram would have entered a government with them. So there's a lot of uh, you know, back and forth on this. Uh, finally, before we go to questions, it has to be the, the big story of the day really is that's got a lot of people talking is the report in the morning by Ben Kaspit, who's a very well-known journalist here, um, who basically released uh, a certain amount of details on the potential for a plea bargain. As we know, a former prime minister and leader of the opposition, Benjamin Netanyahu, is uh, currently under in court uh, for three cases uh, against him. Um, and uh, there's been, you know, it, it's quite a slow and arduous process so far. They've only gone through a couple of witnesses and this is going to take years, but it does seem in the last few weeks, at least, that the Netanyahu uh, lawyers have reached out to the state attorney, who is Erichai Mandelblit. If you remember, Mandelblit is a former ally, friend, uh, and uh, head, uh, you know, ran the coalition for Netanyahu before he was appointed uh, state attorney. And then when he uh, launched the indictments against Netanyahu, he became public enemy number one, not just for Netanyahu and Likud, but for many on the right. Uh, uh, Mandelblit is ending his tenure at the end of January. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about why now. Some believe that Netanyahu is worried about who could come after. He met with Mandelblit, at least he knows him, and he thinks maybe he'll be able to get a better uh, job, uh, a better result. Uh, Mandelblit himself said he would like to leave his tenure with a clean slate, in other words, dealing with all outstanding uh, issues. Uh, at the moment, they seem to be uh, a breakdown in these negotiations because whereas the Netanyahu team has offered, you know, for them, two things that are most important are that he receives no prison time and he doesn't get convicted of moral turpitude, which uh, comes with it um, uh, uh, seven years in the political wilderness for seven years he can hold no uh, someone who's guilty of a crime of moral turpitude in Israel cannot serve uh, in any political position for seven years we saw Arya Derry uh, former interior minister he he was convicted of a crime of moral turpitude and he had to take a time out uh, of seven years including a, a prison sentence um, so that's something that Netanyahu very much wants to avoid it seems that that's not what uh, Mandelblit has in mind. Um, it's possible that uh, there's talk of maybe avoiding um, uh, prison, maybe probation with a massive fine, but pleading guilty. Again, that would uh, uh, not play well into Netanyahu's uh, promises over the years that there's nothing in this case, these cases, these cases are all made up. There's nothing, there will be nothing. I will be innocent at the end of the day and his people have gone on, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the media today to say that, uh, you know, that the, why would he take a plea bargain when, uh, when the cases against him are falling apart? It's clear that uh, that's not what Netanyahu's legal team believes, uh, and that's why it seems to be some movement on whether there's going to be a plea bargain. We will know in the few weeks until the end of the month uh, if there will be, because it seems like there's a certain amount of eagerness on both sides to get this done before the end of Mandelblit's tenure. But at the moment, the two sides are far apart. Uh, we'll see if they can meet in the middle at some point. But uh, it does seem that there's uh, certainly some movements. There could be some very dramatic news in the next couple of weeks to report.
Uh, but with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on this or any other subject. All right, thank you so much. So uh, quite a few of our viewers would like to wish you a speedy recovery. Uh, first question, just a background question. Robert Slater asks, how do surrounding countries deal with the Bedouin land claims? I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. That's not something I've ever looked into. I, I wouldn't even like to, to guess because I, I have no knowledge. All right, thank you. Uh, Ken Miller asks, has the problems with the Bedouins presented any problems within the IDF as many of the Bedouins are serving as trackers and border guards? It must be affecting the enlistment by the Bedouin youth. Yes. Um, I, 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 what I have seen and understood is it does fluctuate depending on the situation. Uh, there are many Bedouin, especially trackers units, especially uh, in and around the Gaza area, uh, who are very motivated, very loyal um, uh, soldiers in the IDF. Yes. Uh, you know, when, when the situation is bad, enlistment numbers do go down because, as we know, our Arabs do not have to serve in the army, but many of these Bedouins uh, volunteer, and as I said, they're, they're considered very highly professional and skilled at what they do, uh, but certainly the, the situation on the ground um, does affect uh, the enlistment numbers. Um, it, it will remain to be seen how, how, as I said, how this particular episode uh, plays itself out. Um, but certainly in the past, when there has been flare-ups, there have been a lot of people who served in the IDF with distinction who have, you know, asked the question, um, you know, we served our country and now we're being treated uh, this way or that way. But it's certainly, the Negev is probably one of Israel's greatest challenges, just to go into a few more details, because on the one hand, you have people, many of them very law-abiding citizens, but, you know, moving around, you know, we, we live in a, you know, the, 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 the 21st century where people usually tend to live on registered land in uh, recognized towns and villages, cities, um, but you have uh, a population which doesn't necessarily play by those rules. Israel's tried to create uh, towns and cities like Rahat and try to uh, entice as many Bedouins in and a certain amount, certain percentage certainly has moved there's still a certain percentage that refuses to move and they move around as much as possible claiming different lands. Again, I'm not going to get into the legal um, uh, issues. All I know is that the vast majority of claims do not have any written basis. They claim that there's some oral basis, um, but you know it's very difficult with a modern uh, uh, country to, to sort of deal with oral traditions that maybe go back a few generations, maybe even a hundred years, but it's very unclear exactly what that means. It's, it, it's a really hard issue to deal with. And anyone who goes down to the south to see where many of these encampments uh, are moving, some of them are spreading out, some of them are creating new encampments. And then when they're taken down, which they are from time to time, the international media is, is mobilized, NGOs are mobilized, and it looks like, you know, it, it, it doesn't look uh, good for the international eyes, and certainly Israeli politicians are sensitive to that. On the other hand, there are uh, people who live down there, who Arab Andrew, whose lives are, are, are very difficult because there's shootings, there's uh, intra-clan violence, there's, there's a sort of freefall for many of these areas. So it's a very, very difficult problem. Uh, it's challenged many governments before, and this one will be even more challenging because you have Iran, which owes, as I said, much of its uh, political support uh, to the southern Bedouins. So it's certainly not going to be necessarily dealt with, even though Israel has 
This government has promised billions uh, to invest in the Arab sector, not just to fight violence, but also to try and reduce the gaps between Jews and Arabs uh, in Israel. So there's, there's, there's quite a lot in there for Iran uh, in this government, and they certainly will want to at least get some of those successes and those achievements. On the other hand, you know, if, if one of these big uh, leaders of these clans will call up uh, Mansour Abbas or one of his people and says, you know, this is a problem you've got to make it stop, or you will lose our support in the next elections. It's not something he can afford to ignore. So it's a very challenging situation. Um, and we'll see if this particular episode uh, calms down. As I said, on the ground, it's not calming down. Uh, but politically, at the moment, it seems like a compromise has been reached. And hopefully next week, for their sake, that uh, the coalition is able to move forward. Right. And one last question on this, Dr. Isaac Isaacs uh, sums this up well. We have a few questions about this, but essentially, uh, in the deserts of the Negev, we know trees are planted to help combat desert desertification. Uh, why would the Bedouins not want trees there? Well, it's, it's not that they uh, don't want trees there. They don't want trees on their particular property, what they claim is their particular property. Uh, I think if it wasn't on their particular property, I don't think they'd have such a problem but they believe that the trees are used to move them off their land. And what they claim is, this is their claim, that first of all, it's being built specifically on their land to deprive them of it. And in the future, if you build trees, then you can build other infrastructure and eventually build towns or whatever it is that would again, keep the Bedouins off their land. They, they consider it a form of expulsion. Um, the Israeli government considers it uh, an environmental uh, uh, issue. Um, so that, that's, that's sort of where the issue settles on the two sides. Thank you for perfectly uh, clarifying that for uh -huh. us. Uh, Murray Feldman asked, did the prime minister recently warn that Israel should be prepared for a conflict in the North and Gaza in the near future? Yes, I mean, he, he spoke to the um, Defense and Foreign Affairs Committee in the Knesset, the prime minister is... Uh, relatively often invited to speak about issues like that. Most of it is usually off record, but as, as uh, is, you know, do a good today, um, most of this stuff is leaked. Um, so those comments were leaked. Um, and what the worry is in Israel is if there should be any sort of steps taken against Iran from Israel, uh, you know, there'll be at least one, if not two fronts opened with Hezbollah, which is basically a, a sort of client organization of Iran and Hamas, which receives a lot of support and resources and arms from Iran, uh, which would obviously make it a lot uh, more difficult. If Israel was fighting on one, two or three fronts, it makes everything a lot more difficult. So that's what uh, Prime Minister Bennett was referring to. That is certainly a worry amongst the uh, security establishment. Another question from an anonymous viewer. Uh, has MK Chickley reconciled with Bennett or will he eventually move to Likud? He hasn't reconciled with Bennett, nor will he. Um, I think the, the question is, is, the second part is probably right. Uh, eventually he'll move to Likud. Uh, it all depends on what his, let's just say, legal or political situation. At the moment, he hasn't been declared a sort of deserter from uh, Yamina, if he's if he's declared officially deserting from the party, that means he will not be able to run with any established party uh, in the next elections. In other words, he would not be able to run with the Likud. He would be able to run on an independent party or a new party. Um, so it all depends, um, you know, 
I think like everything, there's, you know, they're, they're sort of leaving that open in the hope that maybe they can bring them across, even not on, not, not uh, you know, in, in totality, maybe on certain issues they can bring them across. I think that's less and less likely. And it could be sort of uh, in revenge at one point, the Amina party will uh, officially designate him as deserted the party, as I said, which means that at least in the next elections, he won't be able to run with the Likud or any savage party. But on the few times that they have surveyed uh, uh, you know, asking who you'd vote for, and they put Shikli uh, and a new party uh, into the polls. He's polled relatively well. He's a relatively popular figure, especially amongst uh, disgruntled Yemeni supporters who are not happy about the fact that they are in this government. Um, so he's basically taken a lot of that support. So it could be on his own, he'll pass the threshold. But, you know, that's... Uh, that remains to be seen because elections are not happening anytime soon. So obviously there's a lot of issues to be worked out between now and then. And Eric asks, uh, what kind of laws did the opposition try to pass today? Um, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I think there was, uh, there, were, there were some bureaucratic issues about payments for single parent families, all, all, all sorts of things. Um, again, you know, the opposition generally isn't able to make any of its pass any of its laws, and none of these laws will pass probably. Um, it was more symbolic than anything, but uh, every week there are dozens of laws uh, that the opposition will try and pass. Some of them just to embarrass the government, uh, which we talked about in previous uh, previous webinars. You know, sort of laws just to try and embarrass the right wing, or sometimes even the left wing, or whatever whatever it is. Um, and sometimes they are substantive laws uh, which they want to which they want to pass, which as a rule, opposition uh, laws by this coalition are not are not passed. Um, so there, there was a sort of a mixed bag. And again, we saw you know on a day where the opposition, uh, which is largely right wing religious, was claiming that the left, uh, uh, the government was succumbing to Arabs and all the rest of it. We saw you know uh, Ahmed Tibi, who is you know, member of the joint Arab list celebrating with members of the ultra-Orthodox party. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of gamesmanship uh, going on in the Knesset today, but certainly today it was, a, it was a big win for the opposition. But the likelihood is none of these laws will, will pass through the Knesset because there's still many, many different levels to go. And even though today the government wasn't able to get itself in shape to uh, vote down these laws, uh, undoubtedly at one stage, uh, in the future, they'll be able to put these laws back on the back burner. Thank you. And Ken Miller asked, I do believe that you discussed this earlier, but for anyone that came late, uh, uh, he quotes an art or quotes the title of an article. Um, and Sora Abbas, who is head of Israel's United Arab List Party, said it's from. Uh, said it's time for his countrymen to accept Israel's Jewish identity. Wouldn't this imply support of the citizenship bill? No, not necessarily. Uh, you can, I, I wouldn't say he supported Israel as a Jewish state. He accepted the reality. Um, I think there's a difference. Um, even, even accepting the reality and saying we should get used to it and it is what it is is, you know, as, as I talked about, it really is crossing the Rubicon here. It's really a major step for a national Arab leader to go that far. Uh, but then to go as far as to accept um, the Palestinian, uh, the Arab, the Arabs will not be able to marry 
Palestinians and, they, and their spouses get automatic citizenship is obviously an issue which is close to, again, the political base of Mansour Abbas. So I think they may come to some agreement uh, because you know, Shaked obviously is taking uh, one side of it and Mansour Abbas and some of the members of Merits and others are taking another side. It could be they'll come to some arrangements at the end because uh, the only other alternative is for the opposition to bring enough votes for this to pass. At the moment, that doesn't seem to happen, but the fact that there are talks on it shows that there is a possibility because it is a, a considered an issue of national security. It is something which the intelligence agencies have said, you know, has been this particular loophole has been used and abused by people who have uh, then gone on to uh, uh, conduct uh, terrorist operations. So it has been recommended by the security agencies. So, you know, there is hope in the coalition that some responsible members of the opposition will vote for it. But uh, under the current atmosphere, I think that's uh, not the most likely at this point of view, but one never knows. All right. Well, we only have a minute left here, and I know you're not feeling well, so let's uh, close up a little, little early. Uh, we've gone <laughs> to you. the webinar, close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Um, of course, for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with William Jacobson discussing when the Middle East Studies Association votes for BDS. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.